Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Okay, here we go. Welcome to uh, Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Father John here with my old companion, Father Michael. Hey, Father Mike here. Lawrence Ansgar, Blaze Rep. No. Francis. That's Francis. My, uh, that's my confirmation saint. Who's your confirmation Francis. saint? Joseph. Yeah, I wanted uh, um, I wanted uh, Santiago, but my parents were like, "No, you're an idiot. You're gonna be Joseph." And oh, so, Santiago. Well, I just wanted it because it sounded outrageous to be yeah, John Camino. John Lad John Lad Santiago. Yeah, but I was just like a stupid fifteen year old, and so Joseph. But Francis uh, got to go to Assisi this week, and I tell you what, that place is unbelievable. Oh yeah, it is just. We, uh, Father Mike and I had the chance to live in Assisi for a summer, and uh, I think mine was uh, 2015. Yours was probably like... 2012? 2012. I think it was 2012. 2012, yeah. But what an amazing, just an amazing place. So It you, is. Yeah. It's like a deeply spiritual and peaceful place. Mm. I felt that as soon as I walked in, I took the, um, I got into the um, train station, took the bus up to the town, because you kind of arrive, and then... Cece's up on this mountain, and uh, I, as soon as I walked in, it was just like total silence. And coming out of Rome, you know, where it's just like chaos all the time, and I just was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I ran into, like nothing's changed, you know. Like I ran into the same people. They asked about the same things. I, I, I ran into this taxi driver who named Marcello who picked me up. Um, I was on my bike one day way back behind Mount Subiasso, and got two flat tires. How that happened, I don't know. But I had one kid. Ooh. And so I'm just out there. And it's like the sun is setting. And it's like 8 o'clock at night. And I'm probably 10 miles outside of the city. Ooh. And this guy drives by. And I flag him down. And we throw my bike in the car. And he gives me a ride down. And anyway, he's just a great guy. And But he's so funny because I think he's like my buddy, you know. And so I called him. And I said, hey, you know, can you give me a ride to the uh, train station? This was like 6.30 on Wednesday. And he does the same thing every time. He totally rips me off, but he always <laughs> says in Italian, like, for you, my friend, 20 euro. And it's like a five-minute uh, ah, taxi drive. But see, he is your friend. <laughs> he is. It's just like He's your friend. unbelievable. Sometimes over here, you know, rip, ripping you off is a sign of friendship. They're so charming, though. You just, you're just like, oh, how can I not pay you a ridiculous amount for that really and short... And I'll, I'll tip you on top of it. Too. Yeah, exactly, because he's just wonderful. But yeah, it was like... Um, Assisi this time of year was really different because uh, it, it's it, when we were there in the summers it was kind of swarming with people and uh, and I walked uh, so this is the difference between if I can share a little antidote from Assisi the first time I went to Saint Clair's um, tomb you know I was super mm-hmm. excited I might have shared this on the podcast but I was really excited to see Claire and, and Francis they were kind of like you like when I came back to the faith just like a really important part of my uh, encounter just learning who the saints were. And I'm so excited to get there. I'm living in Italy. Like I'm gonna, you're gonna be my patrons and all this stuff. And I get down there, and there's this huge crowd of uh, old Italian women. And I'm kind of like working my way through the crowd. And you know how they can be with these saints. I mean, it can be vicious. You oh know? yeah. And I'm kneeling in front of. Uh, you've heard the story before. I'm kneeling in front of Claire, and there she is. And all of a sudden, I feel these elbows just into my face. Oh. Like these old Italian women are literally just putting their elbows into the side of my head. Yeah. And I was Time's like, up. I'm gonna That's get a concussion here. Yeah. And then this time I went back and um, nothing. There was nobody there. There was oh. n- literally no one in the entire basilica. 
and I just got to sit down there and pray and pray in front of the San Damiano crucifix totally by myself. Uh, same with Francis. It was crazy. So if you have a chance, go to Assisi if you come to Italy. And if you can come in January, it's all about I'd highly timing. recommend it. Yeah. But even with the crowds, there's some grace going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a powerful place. Yeah, it's amazing. So, Assisi. Oh, I like that. Francesco. Yep. And Italians love, they love, they love Francis and they love the Saints. They have a great, great sense of that here. And I think that's one of the, it's one of the things that we're really privileged to live in Italy is just like, uh, there's just Saints everywhere. Just, and they have a sense of that, you know. So, oh, yeah. So. Well, part two today on uh, the feast of St. Blaise and St. Ansgar. Mm-hmm. I heard this thing, you know, St. Blaise has got this special throat blessing. Yeah. And that makes him like the really cool guy on this day. Right. Um, I've, I've got a devotion to St. Ansgar. He was the missionary to uh, Scandinavia. We talked about that. Um, but everybody loves the blaze. I, I was, but I have this little bit of like resentment. It's like kind of, uh, it's fallen, you know, it's, this is not yet redeemed, but uh, that you got these two guys taking the same date in the calendar and we have to choose between them, and Ansgar usually loses because yeah, he does, you got the blessing of right. St. Blaise. And, um, and Blaise was like flayed alive or something really yeah. like awesome. Um, but he, he's also called one of the 14 holy helpers. So that there's, in the medieval tradition, there were like 14 different ailments you could have. And um, he takes care of anything of the throat. Right. Um, and, and also was like an intercessor against the plague and stuff like that. So he's kind of got like a step up. But he's cool, though, because he's like Armenian or something, and he doesn't really have any connection to Europe except this blessing and getting connected to the throats. Oh, yeah. And, uh, so and they love, love him. Hey, there's churches all over Europe to St. Blaise or Biagio, right? Biagio. Biagio. Yeah. I got to tell you a weird thing while we were talking, tying back into the last podcast, if you don't mind. Uh, I had the craziest dream last night, man. It was, yeah, I woke up, I was so, I don't know if this happens to you. You know, I dream very vividly. And uh, yes, I do. I was up at 4 a.m. <laughs> and I, I couldn't go back to sleep because I was so like wired by it. But you'll get a kick out of this. And anybody from Wisconsin will laugh at this. But I was in St. Paul's outside the walls, right? Presiding at Mass. And Beautiful then, church. And then all of a sudden, Molly Roggin shows up and says, um, we're going to do a yoga session right now, and you're going to lead it. And I was like, I think I was thinking about Ooh. Buddhism because I had been reading to Lubach. And so next thing you know, like thousands and thousands of people show up, and I'm and they're watching me lead and do these, like, I'm, I'm not very flexible. I, I know you can relate to this, and terrible in yoga positions. What, is, what do they and call it? Downward dog? Downward dog. Sunrise, downward facing dog. Sunrise. <laughs> is that like a drink, too? <laughs> <laughs> I know child's pose is the one that I can actually do. But anyways, I'm doing all these yoga moves, and people start laughing and yelling, and uh, it's just total chaos and pandemonium in St. Paul's outside the walls. And then Cardinal Harvey walks in, and he gives me this look. And do you remember Lee Trevino? You probably don't remember this, but in Happy Gilmore, Lee Trevino, this g- old golfer, shows up, and he would just shake his oh, head just, at yeah, Happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's, and that's what <laughs> it was like. Cardinal Harvey and Lee Trevino combined, like, just shaking their head and then he just walks out and I was like no and then I woke up and I could not go back to sleep and uh, so I don't know that has nothing to do with anything but I wanted to tell you about that that so is that, very interesting Cardinal yeah. Harvey's our friend over at uh, yeah. St. Paul outside the wall he's one of in our charge favorite of the cardinals place. he's a he's great man he's from Wisconsin man. originally yep yeah 
good guy. I, I have this idea. I think you should paint your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. How about Legos? If I, you know, like our. Oh, Le- if you could do Legos. I used to be. A, I used to love Legos, but yeah, paint them. But you got to have skills. You got to be able to. No, 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 no. That's the beauty of contemporary art, modern art. And you just abstract. You try to depict yoga in the same. That is true. I don't I, know. I should I have know. done that actually last night at four a.m. when I was just sitting up thinking about trying to calm down from. Doctoral students go crazy, and it would be a sign of madness if you had all of your dreams posted. (laughs) Up on the walls. Abstract Like a beautiful mind, except (laughs) not math, just all my dreams. And nothing connected. Oh, my gosh. I know. You can put strings between them. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. He's really not that crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, (laughs) it's happening. Yeah, I I can see it already beginning, you know. You spend enough hours in the the rare books room and... uh, yeah, there you go. You, you know. wake up saying, Jornay, 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 Grace, Grace. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I'm curious about what you got on uh, on the uh, docket here. Oh, for the topic today. Well, you were talking about um, saints, and uh, we're here in Rome, and I am currently uh, doing research and working on Acts of the Apostles, right? And learning a lot about Peter and uh, doing work on the the characterization of Peter in Acts 3 and 4. But I wanted to know what exactly, um, or or like where, do the stories that we have received, like the traditional stories about Peter, outside of the Bible, where do they come from? Ah, Okay. You came in here tonight with a stack of books. I was like, I know, oh, I have like a whole library. I went on a wild goose erudite. chase, like looking for all these traditions. Yeah. And it is, man, it's hard to track them all down. Really? That's great. I'm interested. You've piqued I don't know my what, curiosity. Like, are there domestic gooses? If you go on a wild goose chase, aren't <laughs> all the geese? I mean, like, I'm, I'm from a place where you got these Canadian geeses. Geeses? Geese. Goosen. <laughs> like, <laughs> goosen walking around the park. But nobody's really chasing after them, and I don't know where that expression comes from. Yeah, that is a strange expression, and uh, it's funny how many of those things you just kind of randomly say, and you don't even think about it, but they are really stupid, and uh, or maybe they're interesting, I don't know. So, I don't know. There's, I'm, I'm sure there's some story behind A that. wild goose chase. There are stories behind every story. <laughs> every story is a story. That's okay, right. so uh, all the stories of St. Peter. Tell me a couple of stories that are traditional. That uh, are not in the Bible, but that we talk about with St. Peter. Okay, so the Quo Vadis is the first one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where he's Very walking good. outside, he's walking away from Rome, and Christ appears, and he's going back into Rome, and Peter says, you know, where are you going? And to be crucified again, or something like that. Yeah, Jesus story. says, okay, I'm going back to be crucified again. Yeah, and it fires up Peter's uh, and Peter turns around. Yeah, and he turns around and he goes back. Via Appia, we have a church down there, right? Rome, right? Where the footprint, the footprint. Yeah, yeah. And there's a footprint of Peter, um, where he turned around. Yeah, and he went back to Rome, where he was then martyred. Right. Right. But even the fact of his martyrdom or Mm. his presence in Rome. Mm -hmm. Okay, not in the Acts of the Apostles. Mm -hmm. So the Acts ends with Peter has kind of gone out to. Uh, Samaria, he's sort of gone up north toward Syria, uh, branching out from Jerusalem. He comes back for the Council of Jerusalem in chapter 15, and then you don't hear about him again. That's it. But you do get like um, the epistles, the letters of Peter 
First and Second Peter, right? That's where we get. But yeah. they don't really tell you where he's at, or they're not like historical. They're letters written to communities that right. he is uh, sort of fathering. Right. right? Okay, so, so it's just Paul. It's just the story of Paul, the second half of most, Acts. Yeah, yeah. Getting it's, to it's it's really about Paul. Yeah. And it's, there's some other um, important characters: Barnabas, Apollo, these, mm. these guys. But mostly about Paul. Um, what else about Peter? Quo vadis? Just simple stuff like think of the ark being crucified upside down. Yes, good. Okay, um, uh, I think those are the two big ones that I was thinking. Yeah, I'm trying to think here. Yeah, my biblical, my lack of biblical and extra biblical knowledge is always uh, no. That's fine. Those are, I think those are the two big ones in art and in kind of like storytelling uh-huh. about Peter, right? Okay, uh, that he was crucified upside down in the persecution under the emperor Nero? Yeah, Nero. Nero. Yeah. yeah. Nero. Typically right. we we think of Nero. Yeah. Um so when uh Jews and Christians are being persecuted in Rome, then uh Peter is killed and then uh Paul is also killed. How was Paul killed? Paul was beheaded. There you go. Okay. So right. where does that tradition come? That that's not in the Acts of the Apostles right. either. Right. Right. Okay, so the Acts of the Apostles ends with Paul being moved to Rome and then ministering to uh, or preaching the gospel in Rome. And uh, it's understood that he's on house arrest, right? And he's a little discouraged, but he's, he's there. And then it just ends. It's a very mysterious ending to the, hmm. to the Acts of the Apostles. And there's a lot of speculation from scholars about, was there another book intended? Uh, okay. um, was this the intended ending, or was it cut short? What does it mean if this is the ending? Why does it end so abruptly? All this stuff. But, okay, that's beside the point, because we're talking about Peter. Peter. And um, But kind of the, the reason, um, uh, the raison d'etre uh. of this <laughs> podcast, you like that? I like the French. He's learning I'm, French. I'm learning French. <laughs> Uh, is that how you, you actually say it like that? Raison d'être. D'être. Yeah. Raison d'être. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, the rationale uh, behind this this idea, this topic was that we're here in Rome, and uh, w- when people come to town, and when you're just trying to tell the, the Christian story, the Catholic story, um, after the ascension of Jesus, it's important to include um, the the foundation of the church in Rome and uh, the importance of the church in Rome. And really the the center of the importance of the church in Rome is that this is where Peter and Paul came and together they founded the church in Rome and then um, they died here. And um, it was a place of martyrdom for a lot of Christians and became sort of a, a center of authority, both because of the blood of the martyrs, but also, and in particular, the seat of the uh, apostolic leader, Peter, and Petrine succession, right? Right. Okay, so the, the chair of Peter, the authority of Peter, which was supposed to be like the, the head among equals, among the bishops, um, exercising that leadership out of Rome, right? Gotcha. With you. Okay, so where did the stories come from? That's, that's mm. the question, all right? Now, most of them we gather from uh, really two sources. One is a, a very important, probably the most important, early 
Christian historian who wrote a work called The Ecclesiastical History or the History of the Church. Who is? Eusebius. Yeah, Eusebius of Caesarea. Who okay. was what, like 3rd, 4th century? He was 4th century, um, the beginning. He was okay. at the council where um, St. Nicholas punched Arius. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, in 325, the Council yeah. of Nicaea. He was Constantine's right-hand man, or at least the only history that we have is Eusebius's history. Huh. So he's going to tell you, but I think it's probably true, that he was Constantine's right-hand man. And Constantine was sort of calling all the bishops together to have this council so that they could really describe... Constantine wants to make Christianity legal in Rome for the first time, you know, to make it like a, a, a an allowed religion. Not the official religion yet. That comes, what, like With, 80 uh, years Justinian. later, 70 years later. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he wants to allow it as an official religion, but he, he needs everybody to be on the same page in the Roman Empire. So he calls all the bishops together, and then there's like a court historian who is recording all of this uh, Council of Nicaea, and that's Eusebius, huh, this okay. bishop from Caesarea this, yeah. in, um, in Palestine, right? Okay, so um, Eusebius is writing, uh, he writes a number of things, but one of them is this history of the church. And it, we think that it was part of a three-part series with his um, preparation for the gospel, or Preparatio Evangelia. Okay. Um, he was writing in Greek, right? He was writing in Greek. And you've been kind of casually reading it in Greek? I've been trying yeah, to read it in Greek. I can all brag right. on you. Yeah, that's pretty all cool. Right, all, right, all right, all right. Yeah, it's cool. He, he mentioned that at I breakfast today. I think that's awesome. It's in the Loeb Classical Library. Yeah. And uh, you have Greek on one side and English on the other. And nice. I was working with that for a little bit. Nice. Um, it is fun to kind of branch out and see that stuff. We can teach, well, I make no promises to teach the audience uh, Greek over the, there we go. <laughs> the course uh, of... In yeah, your that, free time. That would take there a lifetime. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so uh, you got Eusebius, and Eusebius is writing around the council. So about 325, he's going to write this, um, this three-part series that is a commentary on the prophets and everything leading up to Jesus, uh, a... a a whole tome on or volume on Jesus and the incarnation. And that's been entirely lost. Huh. We have the first part, the preparation for the, uh. for the gospel. We think that there was a second, the second part. And then we have the third part, which was the, uh, the church and um, all the history of the church. So he takes in this ecclesiastical history, a very famous work, 10 books, he goes from uh, the incarnation of Jesus through the um, uh, the founding of the church, the apostles, and he goes all the way up into his own time at the Council of Nicaea. And he really thinks that like this is the moment when the church really um, came to fruition. This is like the moment of of the church of uh, his own time and the recognition of Constantine, the conversion of Constantine. Mm -hmm. He was a huge fan of Constantine. So that becomes very controversial. Now, if you talk to historians and scholars and Christians of various uh, denominations, they'll uh, have different takes on this whole thing. But uh, it's very, very valuable work 
for historians like myself. Um, this is where we get a lot of the gathered traditions. And often, Eusebius will mention his sources. So we're very grateful for that. Yeah. Um, he uses Josephus a lot. Huh. Josephus was that... F- Your buddy. End of the first century uh, Jewish historian writing under um, Vespasian or with the uh, is Vespasian as his first benefactor um, who brings him to Rome. Uh, writing at the end of the first century, he records a lot of the, the, the uh, issues around Jesus's time. And it uh, doesn't talk a whole lot about Christianity, but talks a lot about Judaism and the state of the world in, uh, in Judea at the time. So he uses um, Josephus. He uses uh, the first, probably the first Christian historian called Julius Africanus, a Libyan um, who was writing at the end of the second century. Um, so a hundred years later, he's writing, trying to collect the traditions of the early church. Uh, we don't have any of his work, but we have references to a lot of his work from uh, from Eusebius. And then he's using uh, various other fathers that we know of, Justin Martyr, Origen, Irenaeus, um, Clement, of Ale- uh, Clement of Alexandria, Dionysius of Alexandria, um, Ignatius of Antioch, etc. Okay, so uh, Eusebius by 325 is recording a lot of these traditions and is aware of another work called Acts of Peter. Uh. And that's what we call an apocryphal work. Um, apocryphal means it's hidden. It means it's outside of the canon. It means it's not a biblical work. So we don't consider it inspired. And uh, Jerome was very insistent about this. Eusebius was very insistent about this. But it does... Re- might record uh, stories that were important to the church from early on. And in the Acts of Peter that uh, Eusebius mentions, um, probably written in the near the end of the second century, uh, we have a collection of stories about Peter that uh, became important for the tradition of art and storytelling, you know. Um, and so some of it, it, it's hard to evaluate, but some of it's going to be stuff that we can kind of verify. Do you know the date again, roughly? For This is like late second century. Okay. For the Acts of Acts Peter. Acts of Peter, yeah. Now, the oldest manuscript we have is from um, Vercelli in the Piemonte region of Italy, and it's from the fourth or fifth century. Well. So that's like, you know, it's all written out. Yeah. You see the whole Acts of Peter. In Greek recorded. or Latin? That would be in Latin. Okay. And um, <clears throat> But Eusebius simply mentions it, and, he, and then he mentions there some of the stories that happen in it. So we think he's looking at the same thing that uh, the Codex from Vercelli is um, demonstrating, right? Okay, so this is a part of the complication of the, yeah. the historian. We're always sorting through, like, somebody mentions this, but... 
when did we right. have the first record of it and manuscripts? You saw this in my defense. Oh, yeah. It gets very it's complicated. Crazy. It's crazy, yeah. And how many di- different scholars can be looking at the same thing, the same amount of evidence and, and coming up with different Yeah, it's takes all theoretical it. yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah, to try and reconstruct these things. But there's mention of the, uh, the martyrdom of Peter and Paul um, from very early on. You have that in Tertullian. You have that suggested in both Clement of Rome who is writing at the end of the first century. Right, early, it's very yeah. early, yeah. right? That's at the same time that, that John's apocalypse and maybe right. his gospel are being written. Right. You know? So, uh, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, wh- are they talking about the mode of the, the, of the martyrdom? No, or just, they only they mention, just mention things the martyrdom? that suggest that they were martyred. Okay, gotcha, Rome. yeah. Okay, so there's mention at certain points that, uh, that Paul wants to go to Spain. Yeah. So there are some scholars who say, oh, Paul never died in Rome. He went to Spain, and he probably died there or died somewhere else. But uh, Clement's pretty clear that uh, Peter and Paul both died in Rome as martyrs in Rome. Um, Ignatius suggests the same thing. Ignatius of Antioch, who's coming just like at the beginning of the, the second century, and then it's clearly written in Irenaeus and in Justin, and um, and then Origen describes the martyrdom a little bit more clearly. Huh. But finally, when we get to the things like um, Quo Vadis and um, the uh, crucifixion upside down of Peter, we're talking about the Acts of Peter. And that's that other work yeah. that was um, in the mix. But that's, what, that's where it's recorded. So a lot of these stories are around. They're in art. They're in inscriptions. But they're not written into books yeah, you know, yeah. That's the kind of problem. There's and we've lost a huge amount of literature from antiquity. Yeah. And um, some of these things get lost. Do we know when we lost the majority of this stuff? Um, or is it just kind of... Along the way, they man. They started collecting it. In Along the, the way. Yeah. I mean, there's a famous story of the burning of the library at Alexandria. Right. And um, there were different places where... I mean, every library, the intention of starting a library back then was we're going to try to collect all of the, uh, the extant works of literature. So they're like looking to go to far off lands and copy, copy different scrolls and manuscripts, try to sort through the most important and then bring them back to your library. Most of the literature from antiquity is gone. Really? It falls apart. If you look at our rare books room, you know, we study in the <laughs> yeah, rare books yeah, room. Yeah. These books are falling apart, and they were published 200 years ago. Right. You know, imagine a 1,000 years, 2,000 years. We're talking about 2,000 years. Yeah. The fact that some things were copied and copied and recopied is the only reason that we have them yeah. today. And then we find little scraps of, like, papyrus and little scrolls. We found that big, huge Dead Sea Scroll thing um, because the area around the Dead Sea is so dry that, that it preserved the it manuscripts. It preserved everything. Area. Yeah. Uh, but that is extremely rare. Yeah, it's funny. You know, we think about the just, we just have this Bible, you know, and uh, just kind of have that from 2,000 years ago. And we don't even think about the, the reality of manuscripts and kind of actually 
you know, the fact that this thing, the Codex Venicatus, whatever that dates back to, that we have these things, you know, that they really were preserved through all the chaos and the wars and the um, of history, you know. And, uh, yeah, you deal with that stuff. You think about that stuff, and it's crazy. And I look at a Caravaggio painting of um, Peter's crucifixion, and I think, wow, that's really cool, you know. But to think about you know, yeah. it never crosses and I think your mind. A lot about of people know you, the story about. Yeah, but you never think about well, where Peter, did it actually come you know, from. Yeah. Peter was going to be crucified, and he says, "Don't crucify me like my Lord. Um, that's my friend. He deserves that one honor. Um, crucify me differently if you're going to have to." And he's crucified upside down, mm. um, and that becomes a, a regular part of the patrimony of the church, and I think a very important part of um, that sort of recognition of the humility of Peter and his love for Jesus and um, his kind of repentance for how he betrayed Jesus and um, but his willingness to go die as a martyr that was profound and um, yeah these stories are, are beautiful um, I, I it's really hard to tell when they started and how they got to that acts of Peter so I'll tell you about yeah, Acts tell me about it because I'm curious because you hear about apocryphal and that's kind of a that's kind of a dirty word you know of like uh, right. uh, you know that's bad but like what exactly is yeah what what is the Acts of Peter and um, right. where, where do you think it it comes from and that kind of thing well yeah the problem with apocryphal is so you have basically in 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 my field you have can- canonical literature that means the, if you take a whole library. Say you take your library, you have uh, stacks and stacks and stacks of books, and you said, I need to pass on the most essential books that I have to somebody that I care about. I'm going to die, for example, and I need to pass on the books that they'll read. But you know the people behind you, and you know what they're, they're not going to read as much as you do, and they're not going to have the same interests. So you've got to pick the essentials. And you're going to take the best of, of what you've got. But you can only give them 12 books. Right, right. What are you going to give them? You know? Yeah. And, um, and so th- you have these huge libraries that get distilled. Um, y- you know, we talk about inspired, inspired literature. And I think that's v- very well recognized. I think um, people recognized... Uh, this is this is essential. You know, if you're going to give those twelve books, you're, I hope you would give them a Bible. <laughs> you know, or if somebody's going to a desert island, or if the whole world is going to blow up and you can only preserve a dozen books, right. what are you going to do? Uh, things get concentrated into the most essential literature. And now, with the canonical works, with the New Testament at least, uh, there was certain criteria that worked out over the course of th- the first three hundred years of the church. That was does it come from the apostles or from um, people writing down what the apostles were saying? Um, did they live with the Lord? Did they witness the Lord? And so you're getting first, uh, first-hand kind of uh, responses to the gospel and to Jesus' life. Um, can, you know, in any way, can we verify those things? And um, other books were considered respected but not a part of that privileged right. kind of core so um there are other books that might have come from the same time 
Um, but they also were evaluated for like the content. Do they, um, do they represent the fullness of what we understand to be the content of faith and the deposit of faith? Okay, so there's other books like um, Epistle of Barnabas and the Letters of Clement and um, the uh, Didache and things like this that don't show up in all of the Bibles, but do show up in some of them. Hmm. Um, so eventually they were distilled down to, okay, we're going to collect books that were preserved as special, but not the, the canon. They're not the, the, the inspired works. So um, they were collected, and they were they they are often called apocryphal works. Mm. Um, they're another collection of important works that are not um, considered inspired or not don't fit the criteria of Bible. They should not be read at mass. They should not be the basis for instruction or theology, and um, but they are still an important record. Okay. Gotcha. So if it's written in the second century or recognized as written in the second century, doesn't count. It's not, it can't be included in the Bible, right? right? Can't be read at the liturgy right. and um, isn't the basis for theology, right? Yeah. Okay, so, uh, but that doesn't mean it wasn't important. And these stories were always, always passed down and copied and all these things. Okay, now in the second century, you had the rise of uh, Gnosticism. You had the the beginnings of a lot of heresies, I mean, that goes back to Paul. Paul is already telling, people have come to you and preached a different gospel. Right. So from the very beginning, you have people um, kind of making up new stories about Jesus. And uh, here we find um, that in the, in the second, third generation, in the fourth generation, we have the Christian apologists who, like... Irenaeus and Justin and even Augustine are constantly writing against heresies, right? Uh, they're trying to correct the, the problems that are coming up, the misunderstandings about Jesus or about the gospel. And um, one of the ways that they addressed that was talking theologically, and some of that is, ve- is very clear. That's the kind of stuff that we, we tend to go for that um, in, in the West we've, we've taken to Augustine's treatises or um, Irenaeus talking specifically about the liturgy or about the sacraments or something like that. But there's also a bunch of stories that came up that were kind of like, um, I would characterize them as like fan fiction. So you take a character from the past or a story from the past, and then you elaborate it to make a point that's still Christian but um, is new. Okay. So here we're taking, like, in the Acts of Peter, you're taking traditions that were known and then expanding them into kind of uh, legends or something like that. Um, so at the end of John's Gospel, if you remember, on the beach, Jesus tells Peter, um, in the past you've got to d- you get to do what you want, um, but you're going to take a hard road, and um, in the future, you're going to be told what to do. Right. And um, he suggests that Peter will die as a martyr. You know? Do you remember that yes, scene? Yes, yes. Yeah, we got to go there, you know, in Holy Land. That's an amazing spot, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. on the beach. Yeah, right there on the beach. In Capernaum. Yeah. Or uh, aside Capernaum, yeah. Okay, so 
Um, not letting so you gonna, drink your whiskey there, making you, making you talk. Sorry, yeah, I you're keep, good. No, I keep talking. Okay, so um, we're expanding the legends of Peter that are known from the canonical Gospels and, um, and from the Acts of the Apostles. This Acts of Peter focuses on a particular scene from Acts 8 where Peter confronts um, this magician named Simon from Samaria. Um, so this Samaritan guy... In the story of uh, the Acts of Peter, fails in in Samaria because Peter has confronted him with the with the power of the Holy Spirit and um, the baptism of Jesus. If you remember that story from Acts eight, Simon tells Peter, "Give me what the, that power that you have," and Peter says, "Well, I can't just give it to you. You know, it comes with faith in Jesus. You have to." come into the church you have to be baptized into this process and simon doesn't go for it so that's where the story ends in acts but then in the acts of peter you have the story pick up and it tells the story that uh simon goes from from uh being a samaritan celebrity that has failed to moving to rome where he becomes like the great magician who's attracting all the attention of the romans and winning them over to his brand of magical kind of Judaism. So then uh, when Peter and Paul arrive, they have to deal with this problem of everybody's interested in this new celebrity, huh. the magician Simon. Yeah. So the Acts of Peter spends the most time telling the story of Peter in a contest with Simon uh, in like the magical, not the magical arts, but... It's like Simon the Miracle Worker. It's like Hogwarts. <laughs> Peter the Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like a it's a contest. What's of about magic. yeah, what's authentic, yeah. And it goes through a series of somewhat bizarre stories of this like magic contest. And then it goes into the death of of Peter and the death of Paul. And those stories kind of level out and seem rather normal. Um, the stories of the magic contest involve like at one point, um, there's a dog who <laughs> the magician Simon tells to, uh, instructs to go and lie to Peter about his whereabouts or something. And the dog like turns around and curses Simon the magician and speaks to him and says, you know, you're uh-huh. corrupt and you're going to fail. And then goes and kind of rats on him to Peter and um, real strange story. Uh, must, have been a la- must have been a Labrador. The Labrador? Yeah. Well, who's the talking Labs dog? Labs are with? smart, aren't they? There's a dog with. Um, Wishbone? Dominic, and there's a dog with Francis. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. There's like a rabid dog with Francis. Right, right. Okay, and then, um, <laughs> and then Peter goes, Peter goes from there and takes a smoked fish from off of the bakery counter and throws it in the Tiber, and then it comes to life again. And he, like, proves himself the victor, Uh, you know? Strange stories. Yeah. Weird stuff. Yeah. Okay, so this thing gets collected with a lot of other weird stories. And um, a lot of these books for um, Gnostic stories of Peter and Gospel of Peter and uh, Apocalypse of Peter get collected and um, become the basis of all kinds of heretical problematic sort of teachings and eventually they get suppressed and we don't end up 
hearing a lot about this stuff. You don't end up reading this stuff. They're not teaching this at Catholic elementary school right. anymore. In part because this stuff is so mixed up with weird right. kind of legendary tales and everything. And it's easier for us to just say, okay, scrap the the weird traditions and let's just deal with like kind of the basis and um, the canon, you know. So how do we distinguish then in these apocryphal works what is like a legitimate tradition like we that's we, the beauty of it it's so <laughs> complicated i don't know yeah um we take uh well i mean there are some things that are like historically verifiable peter, peter died in, in rome right on the vatican hill right which was the the circus of nero and he was martyred there right um because of these other references outside of the Acts of Peter, like Origen, we can say he was probably crucified upside down. Did he take a smoked fish <laughs> and throw it in the tire? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and talk to a dog? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't think it, it matters that much. Yeah. But I think that's the process. It's sort of like we distill by the deposit of faith what, you know, what is most important to... Um, like, what's the hill that you want to die on? Right, right, you know? right, right, right. And, um, it, you know, it comes down to the fact that um, Peter was sent to Rome to convert the world. Peter and Paul were sent together to be a witness of the Christian mission and, um, and sent really to the heart of the known world at the time, the Roman Empire, to go to Rome and um, and to die there, and um, that really started the um, sowed the seeds for Christianity in the West, and um, that's like that's the Catholic stuff you need to know. Need to know, but I think it's interesting to think about because I think if you're kind of a non, I don't know, if I wasn't really studying theology and you you hear all these things and you think it's it feels like all a package deal you know like well catholics think this and then you you get into the question of tradition you know so if you're not catholic and you're thinking well catholics believe that peter was crucified upside down but you equate that with peter was crucified in rome and or peter you know what i mean like or that peter went to rome and all right there are these different there's there's different levels like you're saying that are historically verifiable and theologically significant. And um, it's cool, the Quo Vadi story is cool, but it's not at the same level as the fact that when the Dean family comes in March, we're going to go pray uh, at the tomb of Peter. You know, like that's a very different yeah. thing, a very different claim with very different historicity um, rooted in, in different sources um, that uh, lends us to that kind of that conviction, you know. So... Yeah, I, I like and how you're distinguishing where, that. We yeah. know where Peter died. Yeah, we know where uh, his relics, his his bones, were um, venerated for a long time. Right, and where Christians went back and honored that right. place. Um, that's different than you know. You got all this collection of stories, and it's difficult to sort through. You know what are priorities? What's real? What's what's the truth? And that's, I think, part of the beauty of the adventure of faith and uh, and the study of history. Um, that we we really have to trust in um, the deposit of faith. We have to trust in the Holy Spirit communicating the the priorities and um, 
I like this about you historians is that you're not afraid to deal with the messiness because there's a lot oh, of messiness yeah, with history oh, and sure. documents. It's, it's always very complex and if we can't make the faith, this ties into the Buddhist thing last week, you know, but like if we're going to, if we're going to say there's a, there's a historically, there's a historical foundation, you know, and historicity is really requisite and, and of the essence of the Catholic faith then we got to be okay with the kind of the crazy messiness of it. We 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 can't just kind of clean it up and and present it like it's not because um that there's just an element to that. That's human history, you know. Yeah. So and and also just like it gives us an appreciation for um all of those generations that have preserved this biblical literature. Mm-hmm. And who have really fought for this to be the priority. Uh, it gives us an incredible, incredible record of uh, Jesus from the first people who knew him. Yeah. And um, it, it, the fact that it didn't get complicated with all of these other stories, um, but has been passed down in a way that's been um, really preserved in so, some sort of impressive, pristine um, style. And I think historians should recognize that, you know, no matter yeah. who you are. Yeah. Um, how first century and appropriate to its context, it was uh, yeah. all of this uh, New Testament literature is. Um, it's amazing, and and we can be very grateful for that. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> he's Woo! looking at me. It's crazy. He's looking at me. It's like, eleven o'clock on a Friday night, and things just got crazy. Now my brain's going, and I'm thinking about it a number of different things. But unfortunately, I think we're we gotta kind of move. We gotta move to the shoutouts. Well, I'm feeling like I think you were last or last when we we did. I just have so many questions, but we spend a lot of times in our brains, and that's That's (laughs) it's changing the podcast. You got Gobold and uh, Olaf to keep it light for you. We, but I, I this is a very interesting topic, and yeah, unfortunately, I think we're gonna have to. Kind of keep moving on, trucking, as the Grateful Dead said. Okay, go go for it. I like it. you're you're a real historian though. Like you're you're <laughs> you're a, the the exegesis. We're such a different. Like we spend all day in the same library, but our worlds are so different. And I think that the uh, coming from the perspective of theology, it's it's just really. Just this idea. I told you it was a goose chase, man. It's a wild it goose kind of chase. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to communicate all these various facts. No, it's cool. You did a lot of research to just even present that. That was impressive. I learned a lot, so there we go. Do you mind if we do some shout-outs here real quick and then... Do it, do it. I always have Goebbels, like face behind, you know, every, like, Don't if we, if we hit the one-hour luck. I know. Okay. Uh, a couple shout-outs here. So, Michael Moran. You remember Michael Moran? Mm-hmm. Um, he got married this summer to a wonderful girl hey, named Maria. Congratulations. And... Um, I uh, I got to meet Maria one time. Delightful, delightful young lady. Uh, I hope to see them again soon. But Michael said, can we get a su- sweet surprise shout out to uh, Maria's cousin Jim and uh, his wife Steph. They're in Madison, Wisconsin. Jim's finishing up residency at, at med school at UW. Uh, they got three kids, Isaac, Leah, and Hannah. Big podcast fans and great witnesses to the Catholic faith and building community. So... To the uh, Stockman family, thanks for listening to the podcast. So, do you guys? <laughs> oh, here's one: uh, Ann Landis and uh, Allie Appleby 
who you got to, they came to Mass uh, last week at St. Peter's. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think you had a cappuccino with them. I got to have a little lunch with them from oh, Golden Valley, Minnesota, right? That's yeah, where that's my Anna was from where you were born. So uh, We all went out with the seminarians, too. Oh yeah, 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 it was great. Yeah, good to uh, good to have good Minnesota people. So St. Thomas girls. So nice to have them come through Rome. And then lastly, just Heidi Jones from Fort Polk, Louisiana, uh, and the Catholic group of military wives out there. They said to have make sure that we have Ein Bier next time we're in oh, Deutschland. Yeah, danke. So yeah, Danke Heidi. So that's it for there. Okay, I want to shout out uh, Gracie and Nolan. Hey. who will be out here before long. Yeah, newlyweds. Um, and also Jason Ferris, my old buddy from Fort Collins, who uh, listens to the podcast. He was planning on coming out to Rome, and then it couldn't happen. So uh, bummer, I'm man. Sad, uh, yeah, not to spend some time with him later this. Now, are you sure that's his last name? Uh, yeah, that's his last name. <laughs> we were we were making oh, fun no. of each other on the intermission because uh, we have a, a penchant, as someone would say, for oh, mixing so up podcast things. names. And uh, we love you, even if we say your name wrong. Or completely get it wrong like I've done in the past. So, uh, yeah, Ferris. Don't worry about that. Good old Jason Ferris. Yeah, from way back in the day. Yeah, we were in seminary together. He's been a longtime friend. Yep. Yeah, we always are um, grateful for people listening and hanging with us. And uh, even as we get weirder and weirder year after year here in Rome. And uh, but uh, well done tonight. Difficult topic. Took it on well. Uh, Thank you, Eusebius, for writing all this down. Could you imagine? Could you imagine uh, life without Eusebius? You know, oh, that's what true. we would know. So I can't imagine. Life nobody appreciates that Come life on. without Eusebius. That's like a. It could be like a CBS sitcom. So, anyways, I think that's it. We better wrap this up. Okay. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, write us and uh, like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in a few weeks.